Welcome to the Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me is the rookie, Mr. Chris Dashu. Sometimes even I don't have a pithy remark or funny line for what we're about to talk about because sucking the air out of the room seems to be the job of some of the episodes we're going to be talking about this time around. Oh, boy. We are still in the fifth season of the show, kind of that golden age of the show, except for maybe this time around. We're talking about three episodes. We're talking about The Spy, which was directed, well, they're all directed by Noam Pitlick. This one written by Tony Sheehan dropped on January 18th, 1979. The second episode is a double episode, but yet they both aired on the same night, and there's not really a break in the episode to go to credits and commercial and all that stuff. Instead, it just plays like one big episode. And that came out on January 25th, 1979, written by Tony Sheehan and Danny Arnold, two pretty respected guys. we got Noam Pitlick still in the driver's seat for that one. And then we got Middle Age, directed by Noam Pitlick and story by Walton, sorry, Wally Dalton and Shelley Zellman teleplay by Reinhold Ouija and Danny Arnold. And that one dropped February 1st, 1979. So with The Spy, feels like we've seen this episode before. It is a uh, former CIA agent, thinks that everybody in the squad room's after him. He ends up pulling a gun and holding it to Levitt's throat. I think we've seen this one before, but without Levitt, there was the uh, the two brothers. One of them was Don Kalfa, I believe, and uh, feels like we've been held hostage before. But uh, yeah, uh, this is kind of that thing. What does uh, Otto say? It's uh, paranoiacs with proof. But I don't think this guy has any proof. I think he's just nuts. Yes, sure. I mean, it's not made very clear clear i mean we have a character who is again like you said i mean he he might he's again i believe this guy's probably a cia agent but he comes into the precinct acting like the precinct is in on something that again it's this it's the old it's the old chestnut of the agent who's been burned thinking that you know the world is out to get him or that you know maybe he's you know being handled and there's handlers everywhere i mean it's essentially like the prisoner I, 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 I don't get it. Like, I don't get why this show wanted to tell this story when it's already told more interesting stories without it being like as contrived. Like, like you mentioned with Don Calfa, it, they were just like bank robbers. Like, it wasn't like this. Oh, he's a spy for the government. Like, whoa, what? Like, hold on a second, show. Like, why are it just? It seemed like a lot of contrivances to get to a point where it's like there's a spy holding Levitt hostage in the precinct. Right. Spy was pretty good. Philip Sterling. Um, I'm trying to think if we've seen him before. He's definitely a very familiar face. That's really the A plot, which is not a strong enough A plot, in my opinion. It feels like they were really stretching with this one. Yeah, it wasn't great. Again, when the entire plot boils down to a guy is going to take somebody hostage because he thinks everybody's in on something. There's very little direction to go with that. There's not a lot that can be mined because they've already mined it once before. It's okay. I mean, I think the better part of this episode is Mr. Bender and the mine. Yeah. I like that story. And I was really hoping that they were going to play on them being in the cage together a little bit and like do some mime stuff with, bars and all that because he does the wall and i thought he did a pretty good wall thing but yeah there just wasn't enough here man um by the way philip sterling was on two episodes before this he'll be on two episodes after this 
to your point, you mentioned Bruno Bender, played by Stanley Brock. He is actually a recurring character. We've seen him before as this character. We won't right. see Philip Sterling as this uh, uh, CIA agent anymore, I don't think, because I think he's spending some time in Bellevue. Well, and that's and that's the other thing about this episode is we have them sending the spy at the end of the episode to Bellevue, which makes no sense. Like, I was really struggling to figure out why they sent the spy to Bellevue, because that's the last they should just throw him in jail. Like he threatened the life of Levitt there. What else do you like? There you go. Like sending him up to Bellevue for what? It's clear this man was probably a CIA agent, Uh but like guys just. I don't know. Just throw him in jail. I don't know. Like it again, like they, they go, they use the go to Bellevue thing so much, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, again, it feels kind of like the yada yada of this show, like send him up to Bellevue. All right. Yeah. Cause they're originally taking him to jail. And then once he does that whole thing with Levitt, it's like, Oh, he's actually crazy. So again, know, he thinks maybe. everybody. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, convinced that everybody is an actor or actress inside of this because we in the c plot we have uh an older lady who has been flashed so again kind of familiar kind of feels a little bit like that foot fetishist uh from just a couple episodes ago but this time it's um i think it's estelle omens as felice douglas and she has been flashed and so she's looking at all these mug books and at one point the cia agent starts to talk about how of course they planted a dame in the office and then right you know but you know even they they know how desperate i am because of what was it laos or something where he must have been undercover with some well, he said ugly K- woman K-San. well he was also in Kaysan. Kaysan, that's what it, yeah because yeah. he because he's like you know i was there at Kaysan, and wojo's like tell me more about Kaysan," which is again like you know, we this has been a reoccurring thing this season where they keep talking about Wojohowicz and in being in Vietnam. Like this is the second time at least that this has been a like pseudo plot point, if not a complete plot point. So it's mm-hmm. it's interesting that this is coming back again, the whole like Vietnam thing. Cause like they have Wojo go over to the to the jail cell and he's like, Tell me about it. And we never hear anything. I mean, we hear him go like, you know, I was there, it fell, and it's like okay. Right. But right. it's interesting because Wojohowitz, I think we we talked about this in a couple previous episodes this season. Wojo's been kind of a weird character this season because he's kind of been all over the place. There have been episodes of like extreme idiocy and kind of like writing against character, at least the character that we've seen grow. And then there's episodes like this one where it feels very much like a character caught in flux, trying to figure out what he is trying to get out of life. Because we've seen the whole thing with Vietnam rear its ugly head earlier in the season with the, it was like a protester, like an anti-war guy. You remember what I'm talking about? And he's like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, call oh, the, the radical, yeah. the radical. When he was like, call the CIA on me, tell him you've got me. And they were like, we don't give a shit anymore. Mm-hmm. Right there. There you go. I mean, there's a, there's a recycled plot line, more or less verbatim, like instead of a rat, instead of a person, a radical, it's someone who worked for the CIA. But it's the same. Have somebody call. You're going to get hung up on. You're wasting their time. We've seen this before. So, yeah, this episode feels a little trite, like surprisingly so. Yeah. Though it has nothing, it cannot even begin to hold a candle to the next episode, Wojo's Girl, part one and two. Oh boy, we were warned about this. Our good friend Otto Bruno, the author of 
from the files of the old one to the most amazing book about Barney Miller you're ever going to read. He marks this as the low point, the nadir of Barney Miller. And I have to agree with him. Even as soon as it started, I was just like, this feels off. And if they didn't use a laugh track to at least sweeten this laughter, but I almost think it's all laugh track the whole way through, I will eat my hat because it sounds terrible in there. This is not a funny episode, and there are laughs throughout this episode. This episode should have been called Everybody But Max Gale Gets a Break. Because, <laughs> I mean, everybody drew a paycheck for this episode, but only Max Gale was the one working. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, the, the first half of the episode, I think, is a pretty stock and trade Barney Miller episode. Because you have Doris Roberts returning, you have again, you have Doris Roberts returning, literally similarly doing the exact same thing we saw her do the first time she was on the show. Yeah. And, you know, her husband has been taken in by a pseudo con man. Again, this the first time it was what, like a it was gold. gold. Y'all yeah. wanted to trade everything in for gold because the economy was crashing. And now it's he wants to be a soldier of fortune. Oh, Michael God. Conrad plays uh like a, a a great looking character. Oh, he has a Michael great look Conrad. to him, obviously. Yeah. Michael Conrad is fucking amazing. I I don't think that you've watched Hill Street Blues. I have not. Oh, he is he starts off almost every single episode. He is like the on-duty sergeant that reads out everybody's assignment. And then at the very end of it, I'm getting chills at the very end of it. It's just like, all right, let's be careful out there. And then that Mike Post theme starts up and you get the opening credits. Oh, and so as soon as he came in, I was just like, oh, it's that guy. I was so happy. He's so good. Yeah, I know. He's I mean, again, he he leaves a lasting impression on the episode because he may be the best thing about this episode. Oh, yeah, I definitely think he is, because then we get into Nancy. Nancy's around. We get a little bit of her at the oh. precinct because she stops by to uh, to give Wojo something. I can't even remember what he forgot at home. But yeah, we get introduced. The, the worst part about this episode for me is that Wojo name drops Wentworth. And I'm just like, why are we not seeing Wentworth anymore? You know, I know why we're not seeing Wentworth, but I would so much rather have Wentworth than Nancy. And poor Nancy, she's a nice gal. She seems really kind of put together. It feels like she used to be a working girl. And we know that Wojo's got this weird fascination slash repulsion with working girls. She was like a phone working girl, right? Like she was That's like a, what it like sounded a sex like. Line. Like, yeah. hey, daddy. So how did they meet? Wojo. <laughs> I, I exactly the way we assume they met which was yeah. through the sex line max gale calling one night well not max gale but the character he plays and <laughs> calling and being like hey I, i've got a really weird fascination with working women for whatever reason and i just can't stop myself from calling them whores it's like <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's it's fucking bizarre i'm sorry like this plot line makes no sense like it makes no sense because Wojohowicz doesn't deserve to have this woman as his girlfriend, given what her previous profession was, given what his character's response is every other motherfucking time <sighs> they show up on the show. A, a, a sex worker shows up on the show. It's like the world is falling. And that's what Wojohowicz is like getting stuck on. I find it hard to believe that he would be like, yeah, I'm dating a woman who used to be a working girl. Like, no, you would not. That's why this episode, I mean, again, like this episode has plenty of problems, but like the conceit of it is almost 
unrealistic for the characters of this show. Yeah. And the shame that he has when she shows up. I mean, there's one thing where it's just like, oh, it's my girl. You know, it's a whole like, oh, why didn't you tell that girl that you love her, Michael? Come on. You know, that whole thing. Right. But it's just like, uh, you know, like that kind of schoolboy type of thing. But I think it's a little more like, oh, you can tell she's a floozy, right? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty ashamed of that. And I'm like, you shouldn't be ashamed of your girlfriend. No, whatever her profession. And we should say we do not shame sex workers. Sex work is real work on this podcast. We are pro sex work uh, podcast, whether that be prostitution, phone sex, whatever it is. That's great. You're making a living. You're having a good time. Go for it. And Wojo, you shouldn't be ashamed of Nancy. Yeah. Weirding Way Media is pro sex worker 100 percent yeah it's like you said i mean what two consenting adults do in the privacy of their own home is no business of mine nor is it any business of anybody else as far as i'm fucking concerned and yeah it's like look it's weird that wojo's response to his girlfriend coming to visit him is oh you guys might think she's a, a, a sex worker and it's like why yeah. Cause she's good looking. Like, cause Wentworth was good looking, bro. Like what, what are what message are you attempting to send about yourself, about your abilities as a character to be with someone who's quote attractive unquote. Like, I don't, again, like the episode is posturing in a weird direction. Like it's just, I want, I wish I knew what motivated someone to think like we need to go outside of the precinct. Cause man, Oh man, what a mistake. Just like yeah. the show slows down to a stop not a crawl that show minus you might as well just turn it off like i'm not even joking like when the second part of this episode started it's like a very clear line of demarcation for when we're in the wojo's girl part of the show episode more so like everything that's going on with introducing her and kind of setting up when we go to wojo's apartment it is the worst 20 minutes of television i think i've seen in quite some time it's just irritating and disappointing and also very revealing as to why the show hasn't left the precinct at all since we saw them going to take care of the people that were squatting or something. But even like there's a reason we don't go to people's homes in this show and you're seeing why now. And I got so excited when we left the precinct. I was just like, oh, fantastic. I haven't seen outside of the precinct in so long. Yeah, no. Fool me so much on right. that. And that's the that's the other thing. It's like you, you're doing something that the show does not do almost ever. Like so infrequently, we could count on two hands how many times they've done it. And we're, you know, two thirds of the way through the show at this point. They've only gone outside of the station, you know, the precinct several times. And now this is one of them. And this is just like you should have done fucking anything else. Do anything, anything but this anything. Have Steve Landisberg read out of the phone book for two hours. Like, please. I'd take it. I'd watch it. This is just, again, and again, what the unfortunate thing is, Michael Conrad, Peter Hobbs, Doris Roberts, they're all saddled with being in the first part of this episode, which is a, quote, traditional Barney Miller episode. Right. And the second half, for people that may be smarter than us and avoided this, the second half of this episode is all in Wojo's apartment. Allegedly, it's a backdoor pilot for a Wojo spinoff show that I'm so glad never got picked up. It is just Wojo and Nancy in his little apartment. Just the one, you know, you get the one angle of this thing and it's 
basically it feels it feels more uncomfortable than a Tom Noonan play. Just the way that they talk past each other. He wants to watch hockey and then a baseball, sorry, basketball game. She has no interest. She starts to talk about her interests. He's completely just has no idea how to interact with another human being. That's pretty much it. Like he just doesn't even know how to to talk to this woman. He's still embarrassed. He's still kind of like just out of his comfort zone. And then we come back later on and we have her watching this hockey game and now she's getting into it and stuff. And I'm just like, I don't care. I don't care about any of this stuff. And it's just, like I said, no joke lands whatsoever. It becomes more like a, like a drama than a comedy, though they still have the laugh track. It's like a Tim and Eric skit. In a lot of ways, it feels very much like a different show. You know, we haven't watched Fish yet, right? No, we haven't. But man, I I get the distinct feeling it's going to be like this, where it's like, what the fuck is this? Like, who? What did you watch? Like, that's, you know, ultimately, that's the thing here for me. The thing that I walked away from the second half of this episode is what show were you watching where you thought this is the character of Wojohowicz? Right, right. This isn't written by people who had never written for the damn show before. So Danny Arnold wrote this episode. So I don't even understand then. I don't really even understand then. Because if Danny Arnold is the one writing this episode, I guess was Wojohowicz the show going to be some weird, tonally different thing? Right. I mean... I, like the the drama you've all been waiting for. Right. What does Wojohowicz do behind closed doors? Like, it gives a shit, frankly. Like, he's really awkward around women and can't talk to her at all. How did she become his girlfriend? That's my question. Like, if, if she met him out in public, he'd be like, oh, gee, well, I'm just a dope. I'm a big ding dong. And it's like, what character is this? Well, and they're talking about this whole thing that they were in Atlantic City. It sounds like they met there or something. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Just, I mean, I can understand. Like, you look at Mary Tyler Moore's show, and then you look at Lou Grant. You look at MASH, and then you look at Trapper John MD. It's okay to take a character who's one way in one show and recast them in a totally different show. Like, I don't remember laughing at Lou Grant. I remember being a pretty serious news type drama i don't remember laughing at trapper john md it was a very serious medical thing but to go from you know barney miller to whatever this wojo show would have been called and it being a completely different tone this weird household drama i mean we've already tried household drama we already had you know the whole thing with with barney's wife that didn't work. Why do you think it's going to work this time? And the fact that, is it in this episode or the other one where they even mention Barney's wife? It's like, yeah. why yeah. are you doing this? Like, don't remind us of the last time you tried to give anybody in this precinct a real life. I, like, that's, again, that's the thing that makes this show work is that each of the characters are just broadly written in a way where they really would never work anywhere else. They would not work outside of the precinct. They work because they interact with each other in a confined aquarium style space. You know, we, the audience are viewing them and, and, you know, again, like, like fish in a tank, they don't have a life outside of it. And I'm, and you know what? I'm okay with that because they're entertaining enough in the tank that I don't care what happens 
when they're not in there, because I don't even imagine that they're not. I imagine that they're in there constantly and they never leave on the other side of that door when they open it to leave is nothing. It is the void. They yes. walk. It's like in uh, meaning of life. They open the door and they just walk out into the universe like and then they walk back in. And look like that's not a knock at the show. The show is so good. I don't care that that's what's going on. The show is so entertaining that I don't care that it doesn't feel like it's real, that it feels like it's set bound because it is set bound. We don't need to see anything else. And when we do, it shows us why we shouldn't, which is what what personal lives do these characters have? They don't have any. Their jobs are their lives. It's made very clear to us that that's the case. And I kind of wish we had watched Fish before watching this episode just to see as the other pilot for a show, how that would stack up to what this is. Because again, the second episode of the show is a pilot for another show. 100% is. Right. Yeah, it's just so wedged in here too, where it's just like, oh, I'm just watching an episode of Barney Miller. Oh, oh, they're at Wojo's apartment. Okay. Yay. No, no yay. Right. No. Well, and again, I, I, I wonder... When they were shooting this, kind of what they were thinking, what the what they were trying to glean from this character of Wojohowicz, because, again, they're trying to do something that will maybe inform the direction the character is going for the rest of the series. But again, like this feels such like a, a poor attempt at really, I guess, expanding on the character, because that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to give him a little bit of, a, of more dimensions than he has. Just I don't think Wojohowicz is the right one. I'm not sure any, again, I'm not sure any of these characters are even, I mean, we saw what happened when they tried to do it with Barney. It's like, that wasn't the success of this show. It just wasn't. Yeah. Just a strange, strange. (laughs) What? Yeah. Yeah. Let's try to put some distance between us and this because it's, it's never going to get better. It's, (laughs) oh man. It's yeah, it's again, when, when I, when I think of bad television and episodes of TV shows, that are the moment the show really hits the bottom. We're here, folks. Like mm-hmm. could, there is no way Wojo Wojo's thing. Wojo's girl part one, I think, is actually fine. Yeah. Yeah. Wojo's girlfriend being around is a pain in the ass, but it pales in comparison to the lows, the depths that we sink to with the second episode. And like you said, it's so bad that it's like, just get in the car and stick your foot on the accelerator and fucking go. Cause I want to leave this as far in the rear view mirror as humanly possible. Oh. I, I did. I didn't. It's not that I didn't believe Otto any more than you did, but I didn't think this show could go to this, this depth. And the only way it went to this depth is because it literally did something different. Yeah. Which is strange. Like I, I usually applaud like, Oh, you're trying something different. Okay, cool. That's not like, you know, you get those episodes of like your favorite show and they do the one episode where it's like, Oh, here's this episode of lost, but it's all from Jack, the dog's point of view. And you're just like, okay, well, this is obviously going to be submitted for an Emmy. And it usually, you know, Oh yeah. The, the unusual ones are the ones that get, like lauded where it's like, you know, the fucking Buffy musical episode. I've never seen it, but I still remember hearing about it. And I mean, nobody would shut up about it. It's like, okay, great. And then everybody has to do a fucking musical uh, episode after that. You know, you're trying something different here, but I can't applaud you. Cannot applaud you for doing that. Yeah. I mean, you know, TV shows doing something different is fine. The last of us did it in their third episode and everybody went goo goo gaga over it. And it was a great episode of television. Like, that in a lot of ways could have been in any TV show. Like, and that's, that's the sign of really great television is when it can transcend the medium. And I I feel like I, you and I get what they were going for with this, but phew, 
you guys yeah. missed you you didn't you missed big time oh yeah you you swung at the ball you missed the ball you hit the empire you brained the empire and then you turned the the bat on yourself yep <laughs> They're turning the bat on themselves. My God. <laughs> uh, let's move on to middle age, which is an interesting episode because a lot of it focuses around the title of the episode, middle age. It focuses on Barney who is wearing glasses. And it's really funny because growing up and watching this show, I remember him having glasses. So it wasn't a big deal to me to see him in the glasses at the beginning of this episode, but everybody's making a big deal about it. That's kind of an okay story that we have going on. What puts the nice button on there is Richard Libertini, the return of Richard Libertini, ladies and gentlemen, coming back as Richard Perito, a middle-aged man who looks like Richard Libertini with the very few strands of uh, hair over his head and that great big bushy beard. And he is a, uh, he's an Olympic hopeful. He's trying to get into the Olympics. I don't know if he has a sport, if it's the javelin throwing or if it's something else, but they arrest him for almost stabbing someone with the javelin in the park. So I was happy about that to to see Richard Libertini come back. And then the other storyline that's going on in here is this whole thing of this uh, Hasidic Jew, uh, Yaakov Berger, who's played by Nehemiah Persoff, and he's being robbed by just this kind of piece of shit guy, Herbie Glass, played by Riley Bond. And I thought that the Glass character was going to have more like anti-Semitic feelings or something, but it doesn't seem like it's a hate crime it just feels like i want to steal from people and i want to take these diamonds i i kind of like the whole thing with yakov burger and wojo again being an idiot and not he's never seen a hasidic jew the guy lives in new york city he's never seen a hasidic jew yeah i, I guess <laughs> i mean again like net, net, they've gone from writing the character one way to writing him back to the way they were writing him before the last two episodes which is like a complete big dumb dumb again yeah like how is that how is that how how just how like actually how does any it feels like that was for the benefit of the midwesterners yeah oh like, yeah who, what is that person like you don't have to have one of your characters be dumb though the character that lives in new york city yeah like, come on Even what do they do like rube <laughs> into the the station house and like the rube was like I ain't never seen one of them before. What's going on? And the guy wasn't even like full Hasidic. You know, he just, he didn't have like the, the, the curls. He didn't have like the, you know, the, the, the box on the head, the, the thing on the arm. Like he could have, he didn't even have like the talus coming down or anything. He, he, he was like the most mild. He, he almost looked reformed. That's how, that's how little he looked Hasidic to me. He did not look very Orthodox at all. Well, I mean, again, I, I, uh, <sighs> it's just great. It's, it's, it, it, this, this show all of a sudden decided to just like go eight different directions at once with with the comedy because again it's it this episode is, it has its moments with Richard Libertini but then everything with Nehemiah Persoff is just odd and not funny and strange and just it doesn't land because it starts off on the wrong foot 100% right. starts off on the wrong with Wojohowicz again going from the last episode of being a dope who can't speak to women to now just a dope, right. just a dope, just a total idiot who just is again, like you live in New York. Come on, man. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like we've seen this before. 
some some of the stuff with the Hasidic Jew being a target, like again, someone being the target of a thief. We've kind of seen that, you know, bringing two people into the precinct type thing. I did like the thing with Barney and his glasses, though. Yeah, yeah, thought that was fun. It was cute. I have to say though that this episode, the I guess it might be the C plot, but th- it's the best part of it for me, which is Steve Landisberg's Dietrich inviting certain people to a party that he's having and describing what a Dietrich party would be like. Oh my God. It sounds, I would be in heaven going to a Dietrich party. (laughs) I don't know if uh, Harris would though. No, though. Harris, I think is going to be the only one that shows up from the precinct. Yeah. Well, (laughs) it's what's really funny is, you know, my hope is by the end of the show, Harris and Landisberg have come around to one another. And I think we're seeing like the beginnings of that. Yeah. Because I mean, for like what, almost two seasons, it was he and Harris could not be more diametrically opposed. And now it seems like, again, like maybe they might be getting a little bit on the same page. And I would be totally game. 100%. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I look, Landisberg's the best part of this show and will probably stay the best part of this show. I, I feel like they really gave up on Max Gale's character. Yeah. I just, I can't do it. It's like yeah. they want to do something different, but in, in a way it's like they, they, all they've done is just worsen the problems that his character already had. I can see that. Yeah. It does feel like they've kind of lost the, the thread with, yeah. Of all, and of all people, it's the person that they're trying to spin off. Right. Yeah. I mean, of all the people that they could have spun off, God, sorry that we keep going back to, to but again, it, girl. It's, it's still here. Like it's yeah. in this episode again, they've just, I don't know. I, I want, I wanted Wojohowicz to be the character by the end of the show where we're like, this guy is essentially the, the kind of son figure to Barney. And by the end of the show, they kind of have this father son relationship. And I think it's still going there, but I, I just, I hope by the end of the show, Wojohowicz actually has some character growth because this season, it feels like he's been up and down right. and there has not been like a, there hasn't been like a middle ground for his character. And there hasn't been like a moment where I'm like, all right, I see that his character is is exhibiting some kind of growth. We see a little bit of it in the Harris situation, but right. even there, it's more just like him being exasperated and not knowing what to say, which tracks with his character. But then you have something like this where it's like, what? what? Like, what? Yeah. what is, God, stop writing him this way. He's not, he's not this stupid. Writing him like this big of a dope doesn't help the character grow because he's the, he's the second character of this show. Yeah. Well, going back to what I was about to say, the character that you would spin off i would think is harris you know harris is the most right now he's the most well-developed character aside from barney because we can't make up our mind on what wojo's doing dietrich is too much of a cipher you know right now levitt is still pretty on the fence as far as annoying versus not i know we've come around to him uh this season and yeah like he was fantastic with the gun to his throat in the the spy episode but yeah i mean why not a harris show if you're gonna do that and then you could take harris and you can make that serious show you could take that harris incident and just spin it right out man and show what his struggles are because wojo doesn't have struggles you know his struggles are all in his own head where he's just like oh i really like this lady but she's got this past and i don't know how to talk to her and i like hockey that's not a character no that's not a character that's a series of situations you know i mean that the way wojo was introduced in the beginning of this show 
I think is very telling with the Kung Fu pose <laughs> that again, had nothing to do with anything in right. a lot of ways. Max Gale's character feels directionless. He feels like he's just floating in the ether of this fifth season. And look, I do. I, I would feel the same way even without Wojo's girl, because we were talking about this before we saw Wojo's girl. We were yeah. talking about his character feeling uncharacteristically unlike himself very frequently this season and Wojo's girl adds to it. And then this episode, again, this episode's fine, but I would have hoped that this episode would help wash the bad taste out of my mouth of the last episode. And this episode more or less opens with them conceding that they've completely given up on Wojo's character. Right. (laughs) And again, I hope that they reel that back. They bring that back and they find a way to make Wojo. It's a interesting character who feels like a foil to Barney. I hope that they can bring that back because right now, it's just like, I please just stay in the background. Yeah. I mean, we had the Indian episode. It's a great episode. And yeah, Wojo kind of learns lesson. He is very mature in that episode. He's just like, this is not right. We need to do what's right. He goes against, you know, orders and takes him back out to the park and all that's great. Perfect. I love it. Let's keep going with that Wojo instead of whoever this Wojo is. Right. Like I said, it's been up and down this season, like some really high highs and the lowest lows and the lowest lows are surrounding his character. So it's hard to not single him out, but they sure did. So why can't we? (laughs) That was the whole point of spinning the show off was they thought Wojohowicz was a strong enough character to support his own series. And I think they realized that that was not going to work the way they were trying to do it. And it clearly did because it didn't go anywhere. And it's Mm -hmm. regarded by people in the know who care about the show, like Otto, as the worst episode. And then you have this episode following it up, which digs the hole just one inch further down. Again, it's already 30 feet down, so it doesn't matter. But you would hope that they would start trying to figure out a way to undo the mistakes that they made. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully we'll start to end this season on a high note with the next three episodes that we talk about where we're going to be discussing The Counterfeiter, Open House, and Identity. And again, Gnome Pitlick behind the camera for two of those, but we're back to Max Gale as director when it comes to The Counterfeiter. So fingers crossed that we're in for a good episode with that fingers crossed we're in for good episodes with open house and identity and fingers crossed that people are enjoying the show and we'll come back next month and hear us just kind of shoot our mouths off about this classic detective of uh wonderful television history so chris in the meantime where can people find you and more of what you're working on you can find me and everything i work on over at weirdingwaymedia.com which is where this show and so many other fantastic audio shows can be found both narrative and conversational and uh, they're all over at weirdingwaymedia.com what about you mike where can people find you you know what all over at weirdingwaymedia.com kind of weird <sighs> shocking yeah Today was a banner day. The day that we're recording this episode, there were new episodes at the Projection Booth. There was a new episode of the Bollywood Cinema Club that Chris hosts that I was a co-host on. Thank you, Chris. And there was a new episode of From the Files of Police Squad in color that you and me and Mark Begley all do. It was if if you like the sound of my awful voice, you were just a pig in slop today because you got probably five, six hours worth of me just shooting my mouth off. God bless America. Second Amendment ain't right. Or First, first Amendment ain't right. Second Amendment ain't fucking right either, but God damn that First Amendment. 
<laughs> they let people like us talk on the internet. My terrible Barney Miller opinions. <laughs> Uh, we're going to take some flack for this episode, but I don't think so. I hope not. I hope ever. I mean, like that's got, that's good. We can't be in the minority here, guys. No. Like this is, this is a, this episode was, this was hard for us to get through being as positive as we were. Cause folks, we were holding back. <laughs> <laughs>